welcome back to another podcast episode for Codings Pro Magazine. I'm Stephanie Chizik, and I'm Editor-in-Chief of Codings Pro. Today we have with us again today Anton Rusing. He's Director of IUPAT's International Finishing Trades Institute. Again, that is the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. We talked with him two weeks ago, and we're just continuing that conversation. So thanks again for joining us, Anton. Thank you, Stephanie. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Why don't we just start by giving that brief kind of overall uh, background of, of, of where you came from in the industry. So I'm, I'm a uh, codings applicator by trade. I went through the apprenticeship program I, and I started in 96 um, and I really I did it to pay for college. That was, you know, it was kind of a means to an end. I, and I realized that I, I loved I loved the trades. I love being a painter. I so I you know, started taking every class that I could. I, you know, went through the inspector programs. I, you know, I have had multiple credentials. Went through. Uh, you know, got my PCS. I and what I really found was I, I my my best love. You know, after after first getting into the trades and going through all all the training myself was actually training other people. Um, so I've I've trained thousands of people to date. I'm you know going through our our various programs. Uh, working with both NACE and SSPC, and uh, you know organization. You know, kind of does the same thing. We've we've been training people for over a hundred years. I uh, you know started with registered apprenticeship back in in uh, you know 1934 uh, when FDR first signed the executive order to start the registered apprenticeship programs. Uh, so we've been doing it for a long time, um, and it's something that that I personally love and something that our organization I uh, you know really gets a lot of value of and uh, helps raise a bar in the industry. So that's kind of my background and and uh, you know where our organization's at. Awesome. Yeah. Um, could you also maybe, to, to me, it's also, I think, worth describing maybe the difference or or the, not maybe not the difference, but like how, how the two different organizations work. So I know you're related to IUPAT, but you kind of, I think, work separately when I, uh, meaning the International Finishing Trades Institute. Can you explain that relationship? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, um... You know, the union focuses on representing workers in the workplace, uh, and they do all the typical represent, representational activity, uh, you know, working on contracts, uh, you know, making sure that, that uh, you know, work rules are enforced, making sure that contractors have the, the manpower that they need, uh, you know, doing all those types of things. What the FTI does is we just focus specifically on the, on the training, uh, you know, the certifications uh, on, on that side of it. We are a separate organization, um, you know, a separate legal entity. Uh, but the the way that our funds are structured, uh, and this is through the Registered Apprenticeship Act, the way our funds are structured is that it's a joint venture between labor and management. So uh, folks that are representatives of the union and folks that are representatives of our contractors uh, actually comprise the board that governs what FTI focuses on, what direction we, we go in. Um, so it's a it's a joint labor management board, and that's one of the things that that makes it unique, and one of the reasons why registered apprenticeship is is such a um, you know such a, a good idea is because it's jointly managed. So you ensure that the union is is getting what they need. Uh, you make sure that the contractors are getting what they need. Uh, we make sure that we stay on top of the latest trends in the industry because it's managed by a group that's working in the industry on a on a daily basis. So. Uh, we're very closely affiliated with the union uh, because they, again, comprise our board along with contractors, uh, but we are a separate organization. Okay. It, it does sound like a very kind of holistic approach then to the, the industry, which I feel like might give you a kind of a good place or, a, you know, kind of a good um, viewpoint on some of the 
current challenges that the contractors are going through? Do you have any sort of insight as to the top pain points that a lot of the these painting contractors are going through these days? Sure. Um, and, and what's, you know, uh, one, one thing I didn't mention, it's a little outside of FTI, but I, I also uh, manage our labor management fund, uh, which is a similar structure. Uh, it's, it's labor and management, uh, you know, jointly, uh, jointly ran organization. Uh, but, but we focus on, on the LMCI side um, and, and the LMP side, which is a, the name of the funds. Mm. Uh, we focus on specifically those issues and how to address them. Uh, so it goes beyond just the training and it gets into, um, you know, the, the challenges that we look, that looks like we're going to be facing in the next, you know, next five, 10, 15 years. Um, you know, there's potentially economic recession, um, you know, partially as a result of COVID, but, you know, it's just kind of trending that way. Uh, projects are getting increase, increasingly complex, uh, and the more complex they get, there's this um, this migration of risk from, you know, the general contractor uh, to the um, the subcontractors or the trade contractors, uh, as well as the owners. Um, you know, that's a that's a big issue for our uh, for our contractors. Um, you know, these mega projects, I think we'll see more and more of those uh, as the years go on. Um, there's probably going to be some short-term infrastructure spending that'll be good for us uh, mm -hmm. because, you know, the infrastructure is kind of falling down around us. Yeah. Um, so that'll present some opportunities. Um, one of the big ones is the, you know, the gap between the skilled and the unskilled uh, workforce. Um, more and more people are retiring every day. Those experienced, uh, you know, we call them journeymen, but those experienced journeymen are retiring and they're not being replaced at a, at a fast enough rate. Uh, and that's a big issue, uh, and that's one of the things that we focus on with FTI specifically is, you know, closing that gap by by training uh, and and getting our workers certified. A um, bunch of ch technological challenges um, and changes that are coming, uh, things like predictive AI, um, you know, the again that that uh, migration of risk from from the GCs down to the um, down to the trade contractors. Uh, and using predictive AI to, you know, figure out where some of those uh, those pinch points might be. Uh, there's going to be changes with robotics. Um, oh, yeah. It's going to be hard to replace a worker. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's going to be hard to replace the person on the job. But, um, you know, but there, there's going to be a lot of aug augment augmentation uh, with robotics, I think. Right. Uh, huge changes in the way that we train. You know, it's, the robotics thing is obviously so interesting, I think, to a lot of people and um my understanding is it's not necessarily replacing someone because you still have to have someone controlling it. It's not, you know, years ago I was a contractor in the military and, and they said, you know, we need to stop calling them unmanned vehicles because there is someone at the other end of it, you know, working the like joystick or whatever. So it's an interesting kind of like, you know, got, we got to pick our words so people understand what we're talking about. It's yeah. so funny. Well, and that's that's part of the the issue with the the change is how do you train those people because the you know the folks that are doing the work right now um you know they they're going to be the ones that are running the equipment i um, you know that are they're programming those robots or or controlling those robots i um, it's going to require a different type of training uh, mm -hmm. and that's one of the challenges is how do we make that jump from where we are today with the way that we do work and and you know how do we do the work of tomorrow what's it going to look like and how do we train for it and prepare for it yeah and you know it's also you guys um i stopped by the hanover location i want to say it was last year 2019 when you were doing a training with um 
a scissor lift robotics. And that was, that was on, on the training side of, of getting people sort of used to, okay, before we, before we put someone in the field on a scissor list in like a plant sort of situation where there's just all these external things going on and, um, let's, let's train them first on the robot and, and at least get them up yep. to, I don't know, 60% rather than starting them on the job site at zero. That was such an interesting experience. Is, is it kind of trending towards towards that as well as, you know, it's not just robots in the field, I yep. guess, is my point. Sure, yeah, a lot of it is. And, and the, you know, and, and it's not just the robotic side of it, but the virtual reality training side of it, um, you know, it, it's it's a safer environment where, you know, when you're when you're teaching someone how to work a, a scissor lift or a, or a high reach or something like that, it's usually a one-on-one. Uh, you know, an instructor along with the with the student uh, in the basket working the controls. You can give them all the classroom theory that that's that's out there, but you know, you have to get your hands on the equipment. And you know, it's there's not enough instructors to go around for the number of people that need to be trained to do it one-on-one. So if you can if you can put somebody in a virtual piece of equipment where they're not going to hit anything, they're not going to cause damage to to anything. Um, there's there's very little maintenance costs. You don't have to purchase fuel. You don't have to have a giant yard that you can have 20 people lined up in these things. You can do it in a classroom, uh, and they get all the feeling of being on the job site and using that piece of equipment, operating that piece of equipment. And if they mess up, they're not hurting themselves. They're not hurting, uh, you know, damaging any property or anything. Uh, it's a great scenario to be able to put people in that. Uh, you have them go through, uh, you know, like a, an asynchronous learning process um, where they're going through the lessons. They're learning from the very basics how to operate everything. And you can have one instructor work with 20 or 30 students at a time, depending on how much, how many of the machines you have. Mm-hmm. And the instructor can go around and you know and and help them as they're going, but it's it's primarily a self-paced um, learning method. And I actually you know I, I took my son and put my son on on the equipment after hours just to see what he thought of it. And you know at the time he was 14 when we first um, first or 13 when we first first started doing it. And you know in a couple of hours he could operate it not not as good as someone on the job, but competently enough that. I, you know, it was really amazing to me that somebody with absolutely no construction experience could get on that and in a couple hours be at a point where, you know, I wouldn't turn him loose on a on a high reach or a scissor lift, but uh, he had enough skill that, you know, with some with some actual instructor uh, instructor led course coursework and and practice, I uh, could be a competent lift driver. Uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's pretty amazing how far that technology has come. I think that also sort of like, you know, touches on what you were talking about before, the labor gap. And and I think, you know, we didn't specifically talk about it today necessarily, but, you know, there ha- we just have to start implementing in the industry and, and not just construction either. I mean, you know, across the board where there are labor gaps, you know, different ways of, of, of uh, outreach. And if you find someone who yeah. has an aptitude, you know, someone like you just mentioned, your son who maybe plays video games for in his, you know, in his um, time off of school or what have you, and, and maybe could be someone who would have an aptitude for that type of work. Um, is, is there something that, that we need to be doing as an industry, at least from your point or from a IUPAT standpoint of, of helping that one of those pain points you'd mentioned about the labor gap? Yeah. I, you know, the, it's a hard problem to solve, but I think the biggest thing that we can do is stop stigmatizing the the trades as as a bad pathway. Mm. Um, you know, I I saw it in my own life. My, you know, my my dad always said, "Son, you're too smart to be a painter." 
you know, what are you doing? You're too smart to be a painter. He didn't realize, you know, all the the different types of knowledge and and uh, you know, it, it's it's not your your IQ or or whatever determines whether you're going to be successful or not. I, you know, but just that stigma of son, you're too smart to be a painter. You could do something more important with your life or more valuable with your life or something where you can use your your gifts. I'm that's a that's the wrong message mm-hmm. and. And even tradespeople send that message. I, I can't tell you how many times I've I've been on the job site having a you know sitting at lunch, sitting on a bucket, uh, talking to my coworkers and having them say, Yeah, I don't want my kids doing this stuff. I can't wait. My kids are going to college. I don't I don't want my I want my son daughter you know be a painter. I uh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that and it it breaks my heart and it irritates me at the same time because what we do is important. It takes skill to do it. It takes knowledge to do it. Um, it's a true profession. It's a true, you know, skilled craft that not everybody can do. And I think we scare away the people that do have aptitude for for skilled trades by uh, telling them that they have to go to college. You know, mm-hmm. by by telling them that's the only path to be successful and and do well in your life. The reality of it is, you if you go through a trade school, um, you can come out with a with a college degree. We have programs all over the country. Um, that are providing, you know, uh, degree and and credits towards a degree by going through apprenticeship, but you come out with with no debt, um, at least not not any student loan debt like you would if you went to went to college. You come out having made a couple hundred thousand dollars over the course of your apprenticeship, uh, where when you're in college you don't necessarily have that opportunity to to make that kind of money. Uh, you come out with a skilled trade that no one can ever take that away from you. You can't. Uh, you know, if you if if things ever get bad doing anything else, if you become a a glazer or a, an industrial applicator or an electrician or or anything, you you become a, a tradesperson, and you decide to move on at some point to something else. Um, you can always come back to the trades. You know, your your body will remember how to do that. The the skills and knowledge will still be there. Um, you can take a couple classes, get back up to speed, and go right back to it like you never left. So the most important thing I think we could do to answer your question now that I've gone, you know, roundabout. <laughs> I, most important thing I think we can do is is stop talking bad about the trades. Teach people that it is a it is a phenomenal career path where you can make a lot of money, do really well for yourself. Um, you know, have a really good quality of life. Uh, learn a lot along the way. Have some fun while you're doing it. And I'll, I'll give you one quick quick story we we uh, there's a documentary called bridge brothers that was a it was a pilot for a television show that i uh, that focused on bridge painters uh, in the philadelphia area and what it was like it's kind of like those shows you see on the discovery channel or the history channel mm-hmm. and it, it never picked up but um you know our, our a lot of our our uh, folks were in that in that initial uh pilot so when they they did a launch party and we all go to to dinner after they did the launch and and you know watch the watch the movie and I'm sitting at the table with a bunch of just regular construction guys you know just just like I was from the trade you know just a, a bridge painter I'm you know that that wakes up in the morning goes and and uh, you know does their does their job every day painting blasting whatever I you know goes home and and you know barbecues relaxes hangs out mm-hmm. with the family does that. They're all talking about the trucks that they have, the nice cars that they drive, uh, you know, their boats, their lake houses, uh, you know, their ski-doos. Uh, they're talking about all these things that they have as a result of being, you know, what my dad would, would classify as a dumb construction worker. Yeah. Uh, and 
we got to get away from that dumb construction worker mentality and you know show the trades for what they are is a phenomenal career path for people. Absolutely, and to your point too. I mean, no career path is is the end all be all. There's never gonna you know we should have options. I think it's you know some yes some people should go to college. Other people should absolutely consider going into a trade. Yep. Yeah, yeah I 100% agree. I've, I've told my kids they they'll they'll if they want to go to college at some point they're welcome to do that but before they do that the number one they need to mature a little bit um i was i got out of high school i wasn't ready i i wasn't ready for college um i went but i wasn't i wasn't ready for it i wish i had taken a couple of years did my apprenticeship before i went to school um you know but i I told my kids that they can go to college if they want to but they're going to learn a trade first they're going to go through an apprenticeship um, they can actually get college credits for the apprenticeship, and and if they want to, you know, become something else down the road, they can. No one will ever be able to take that that trade experience away from them. Yeah, and to your point, they can fall back on that if they need to. I think that's a really great point that people probably don't consider. Yep, absolutely. I also think that. And, oh, go ahead. Well, and, and you also learn work ethics uh, through that. You learn the value of a dollar, and those are skills that I never learned those in college. I got myself in a bunch of financial trouble uh, when I was when I was going to college because I I was you know not not mature enough, and I didn't understand the value of a dollar. Um, when you work in the trade, you you know what it you know what it takes to earn a dollar, uh, and you respect a little bit more. Yeah, I think you probably also quickly learn, you know, things like taxes and with your, you know, first paycheck and, you know, okay. all all important things that you need to know as an adult of, you know, when you're managing your money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I was going to say that I also think that is at least from my standpoint, there seems to be a misconception of what does it mean to be a painter? And I've never been a painter, but I, I've talked to, I got hundreds at this point, and I, I can tell mm-hmm. you it's not just putting paint on on a ship hull. It's not just slapping paint on a, on a floor or something like that, you know, and I think we know, we don't really talk about that either in the sense of, um, you know, you might be, have an aptitude, you know, you are, sometimes you're a chemist in the field. You might have an aptitude for that mixing part A and part B. You might be really interested in the surface prep part of it or the project management. You know, there's so much more that goes into it than, than, uh, than putting the actual paint or coating on the substrate. Absolutely. And that, that was something I learned Early in my my career as a painter, when I first first started, I knew nothing about it. I I, I wasn't from the trades. My you know my dad wasn't a, a tradesman, um, you know. So I came in completely blind and and had no idea. And my conception of what a painter was and what it actually was when I got on the job was two completely different things. And I learned along the way that the more you learn, uh, the more knowledge you have, uh, the more skills you develop through your your experience. I uh, there's a completely different, very high-tech world of, of coatings. Uh, and, you know, we, we talk about in, in the trades, you know, a lot of people will say painter. That's what the, the normal person will talk about as a painter. Um, when you're talking about being an, an industrial applicator, um, it's, it's one step farther. You know, you're talking about putting a coating on in, you know, within thousandths of an inch tolerance. Um, like you said, you're, you're mixing coatings. It's, it's not just pour these two things together. There's a specific ratio that you have to use. It's that's affected by the humidity, by the temperature, um, you know, by the intended outcome. Uh, the the surface roughness, the surface profile um, that the paint actually grabs onto mm-hmm. uh, when you're when you're painting steel. 
uh, if that's off or if the thickness of your coating is off, you could have a, a multi-million dollar coating failure that could cause you know, major corrosion and deterioration of a structure. Uh, and, and it takes skill to be able to understand that and do it correctly. Um, people don't, they really have no idea what it really takes to be an industrial coatings applicator um, or what, you know, common, commonly people will refer to as a painter. They have no idea. Yeah. It's in, yeah. Hopefully we can help shed a little light on that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I would be, I think, remiss if I didn't mention also that there are um, other things going on in the world today, at least, you know, the fires in California and Washington and Oregon and Colorado. There's, there's um, just a, a whole lot going on right now that, that affects everyone's everyday life, but it's also affecting, you know, the ability to get to job sites and those are on hold. The same thing with, yep. you know, COVID are, is also, like you mentioned, affecting the industry as well. Um, obviously, we can't necessarily predict these types of things, but I mean, are there changes moving forward that, that you see coming down the line that, you know, it, is there a, a silver lining or a positive that we could maybe end on today? I feel like there's just so much going on sure. that's negative in the world. It'd be nice to leave, end on a, on a positive note. Well, so here, here's what I always tell people. I, I look at every, uh, every challenge as an opportunity. So, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll use COVID since that's a real recent example. Um, when COVID first first hit, you know, we, we shut down our offices in the middle of March. Um, no one expected it. Um, I was one of the people that said, yeah, it's going to be a virus like the flu. You know, some people will get sick, no big deal. Nobody had any idea, you know. Mm -hmm. I, and it happened, all of a sudden it was, oh, my God, we got to close the office. Uh, how are we going to conduct business? How are we going to train people? Uh, we have 30, 30 classes on the calendar that we're going to have to cancel. How are we going to do this? And it, it presented an opportunity for us to, to pivot in the way that we teach people. And we embraced that distance learning model. Uh, we started converting a lot of our curriculum to, to the asynchronous model while we still have synchronous learning, you know, instructor-led, typical instructor-led classes. But we're using distance learning technology. We're using Zoom. We're using WebEx. We relied heavily on our, on our LMS system. And it's changed the way that we train people. And even going forward, we're working on our, our schedule for next year for the classes that, that I, you know, I'm hoping that things open back up after the first of the year. Um, and gets back to, to normal. And while I hate the word the new normal, I think the new normal for us is going to be a hybrid training approach that includes some distance learning prior to coming to class, maybe some instructor-led sessions either before or after the in-person session happens, uh, and a shorter in-person window. I mm -hmm. now have these tools that, that we've used, that we you know, were forced to use, but we have these tools to use um, to change the way that we train and make it more convenient, more cost-effective, and I think more impactful. So no matter what challenge comes before us, I think if we look at it as an opportunity and we use it as a tool to make ourselves better, um, there's a great book, I, I believe it's called A Beautiful Constraint, and it, it talks about these types of things specifically where um, you know, you, you take the, the thing that constrains you, you take that challenge or you take that thing that you have to have to manage around, and you use that as a tool to make your business better, yourself better, the way that you conduct yourself better, the way you accomplish things better. Um, and I love that philosophy. Uh, we can't change the things that happen to us, and it's almost impossible to predict and prepare for them. But our response to them, you know, that pivot, 
Um, that adjustment in the way that we do things, if we if we use it as a as an opportunity to be more successful, when we come out of that challenge uh, or we come out of that predicament, um, we're going to be in a heck of a lot better shape. So that's kind of that's kind of the way I look at, at it. Yeah, that's a great outlook. I appreciate it. I think that's that's a really great way of looking at it. And um, you know, thanks for sharing that with with me and with our with our listeners as well. Before we hop off, was there anything else that you wanted to mention that I failed to ask you about? Uh, I don't think so. I, you know, I, I guess the if if I had to just say one thing, this might sound really hokey, but I, uh, you know, you. I like hokey. You brought up the, <laughs> okay, so we we've got the fires, we got COVID, we've got all these things. We know what's going on in the media. We've got people, or you know, the the extremes on both sides of the of the political issues. I'm. All this stuff is going on. If we can just remember to be kind to one another, uh, make our little segment of the world a better place, try to raise the bar uh, in in our industry, uh, you know, be generous with one another, be genuine with one another, and do the right thing. Um, I think the average average person is a lot closer to the person next to them than the media likes us to believe. I mm. uh, and while we might have different political views here and there. I, I think we're a lot closer to being on the same page than than people would have us be. So, if we can be kind to one another, make the world a little bit better place, um, it's going to be better for all of us. So, I love that. That's such a great way to end it. Thank you so much for sharing everything again, um, Anton. Thanks for joining us. How can people reach you if they'd like to follow up afterwards? Uh, so they could go to our our website if you're interested in in uh, training or FTI. You can reach us there at at ifti.edu. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about the IUPAT, uh, IUPAT.org is the uh, is the union website, uh, and uh, you know we're, we're on all the the typical social media platforms and everything else. But IFTI and IUPAT, either one of those will will get back to us. And and uh, if anybody wants to wants to talk about paint, I love talking about paint. <laughs> <laughs> I love talking about workforce development too. So awesome. <laughs> give, me, give me a call or, or look me up. Sweet. Okay. Great. Well, thanks again. I hope that I'll have a chance to stop by the Hanover location again sometime soon. I'm hoping in maybe 2021. That'd be great. We'd we'd love to host you. Thanks. Thanks (laughs) Have a great day, Stephanie. Thank you. You too. Once more, that was Anton Rusing, director of the IUPAT International Finishing Trades Institute. I think he's got a really interesting kind of take on the industry, and it was great to have him on the podcast today. So, do reach out to him and get in for information if you'd like to follow up. It's ifti.edu. Uh, as always, there's information on codingspromag.com pertaining to this specific topic, as well as all things coatings for concrete, steel, and roof substrates. So go ahead over there and check that out. Feel free to reach back if you have any questions, comments, ideas. We'd love to feature contractors in the magazine and online. So we're always open for chatting and feedback as well. So again, I'm Stephanie Chizik. I'm the editor-in-chief of Codings Pro Magazine. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Stay healthy and as always, happy coding.